Hi, and welcome to Mind Power. Today, I get an opportunity to interview Coach Jim Bundy, who is a fabulous Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt under the tutelage of the great Pedro Sauer. Uh, Coach Bundy goes into great detail into his philosophy towards martial arts, the martial arts world, training methods, and his mindset towards teaching and what martial arts did for him. Now this is the first of a two-part interview. This first interview is the nuts and bolts of what he does as a teacher and what his influences are. And our second interview will be on mindset and on the internal workings of how do you set goals and how do you achieve more personal improvement and development. So without further ado, welcome to Mind Power. I hope you enjoy words of wisdom from Coach Jim Bundy. And uh, for those of you that don't know who uh, Coach Bundy is. He is a uh, just an extraordinary black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, he's come into our dojo uh, usually about once a year and does uh, clinics for us, and his technique is just spectacular. And I'm also honored to uh, really consider him among my closest friends. And uh, so to have his influence and his wisdom and his knowledge is just a privilege. And so thanks a lot for being here today. And super glad to, uh, to have the, the chance to talk. It's my pleasure, Sensei. You know, uh, I agree. You know, we, we've been friends for a long time in the martial arts, and it's always a pleasure to share martial arts with your awesome students at your dojo. And anything we can do today to help others is, I think, uh, an awesome, an awesome thing, especially, especially right now. Fantastic. Well, again, I really appreciate it. It's funny when <clears throat> you know people for a long period of time, and sometimes some of the questions that I, I was when I was going over questions I was going to ask you today, I was thinking, geez, I don't know. You know, lot, sometimes you do an interview, and you kind of know the answer to a question, but you just allow the, the person you're interviewing to sort of uh, rift on it a little bit. But in this particular case, there's a lot of these things I have absolutely no idea, but it's funny because we've known each other and hung out and got <laughs> to spend so much quality time. But I sure. guess, I guess it's, like all, it's like all this. It's like all the secrets I keep from my wife. <laughs> right. right. Well, I hope there's not that many, but that's that. no, no, just that, a couple small that, ones. That's another, another story. <laughs> yes, sir. So, so the, I guess the first thing is, is if you could kind of uh, just kind of rift on a little bit about your background, like when you started martial arts. And I know um, sure. you've gone through many stages and, you know, when we were first with each other, we were both kind of different people in a lot of ways. And, and then that transition into uh, discovering Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and then making that a big part of what you do. And then, uh, you know, your background in, in the direction that your, that your life has, has, has taken you. So could, sure. you, could you just talk about that a little bit for us? course um you know i i explained to people that my relationship with martial arts has pretty much been a lifelong love affair and what i mean by that is as long as i can remember and and i don't know like i know that when i hear other folks that have gotten into martial arts you know i'm not old enough to have grown up on the bruce lee movies like in the 70s but in the 80s, you know, there was ninja movies and that was like the big craze. So martial arts was kind of, you know, in the movies and in our culture. So I don't know exactly what fascinated me about it, you know, truly as a, as a young, young kid. Although I just know I've always 
thought it was awesome. And I had a, I, I did not have the opportunity to start martial arts when I wanted to. I was, I was nine years old and I had asked my mom to start martial arts. My friend had been taking martial arts that I, you know, went to school with. And we went to the school that he was practicing at. And, you know, I, I like a lot of Americans, you know, our, our family did not have an, a very, you know, good economic stature. So it just wasn't feasible at the time for me to practice. That didn't mean I didn't want to. It just wasn't in the cards, you know, at that age. And a few years later, interestingly enough, um, one of the Karate Kid movies, well, the same instructor that we had visited, right? Well, he had had a, um, we call it in our martial arts business jargon, you know, way to generate leads or ways that we go out to the public to see who's interested in our, in our program, right? Well, I didn't know that. It was just sign up for free karate. Yeah. yeah. So I, I saw that at the movie theater. And I was like, okay, here we go. This is my shot. So I must have put my name in there like 30 or 40 times. <laughs> but, but not knowing that he was going to call everybody in there, you know, as, as a business tool. It's like, oh, you're interested in martial arts. I'm going to call you. I, I didn't see it that way. I saw free karate. So I just dubbed my name in like, I, I don't know how many times, but it was quite a lot. Awesome. Needless to say, needless to say that because he called my parents and to be quite honest, and this is why, you know, I always have a pay it forward attitude for multitude of reasons, but especially because, you know, when I went for that free week of class, you know, and it came time to sign up. My, my parents had the same amount of money when I was 11 as I, they did when I was nine. There was no difference in the economic stature, right? right? But for whatever reason, um, my instructor, you know, felt inclined to give my dad a little bit of a break on the pricing of it all. Um, and that was it. That the, being that be the catalyst of me starting my actual physical practice to match up my my interest and that's that's pretty much just been me i've been a martial artist since that time i, I just obviously going through my teenage years like any teenager you have times where you feel like hanging out with friends is important and not going to class is not important now because you wanted because i was the only kid who did martial arts mm -hmm. right in the 80s yeah. in the 80s this like like nowadays martial arts is very ingrained in our culture it's on commercials you know it's very well known kids can do soccer or karate or or things like that like it's in our culture yeah. but in the 80s this is this is before the karate kid made everything like what it is that was the start of the karate kid movies so that there, there wasn't this boom of like you know hey i you know let's sign up my kid for martial arts because at that time you know there was still a stigma on it right like how there is on mixed martial arts now that's exactly how it was on with karate in the 80s it was like nobody did that you're gonna get beat up like you know it was like dungeon style you know dojo war type of vibe to it right it wasn't this you know thing that it is yes. now and so that being said, nobody did more. I knew no one who did martial arts. Yes. Certainly no one in my, no one in my school, everybody did a sport, yes. right? Yep. And, and, and growing up in Northeast Ohio, football is like the thing. And I played football for a year when I was nine because I couldn't do martial arts. I enjoyed football. Yeah. Um, so I did that. But once, once the martial arts thing, I was able to do that, nothing else mattered. Like, you know, I, so my point being is through those high school years, all, all I had to have my mom was tell me one, one time. Right. And I respected my mom dearly. And she said, you know, Jim, you're, you're, you haven't been going to class. Yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. Wow. In that. 
And that was it for me. That was it for me. Cause I was, it wasn't like I was missing terribly, but I wasn't being regular. Like I'd always been, I, I was a dojo rat. Like I was that kid that was there hours upon hours upon hours every yes. week. That being, that being said, that was a, I can remember that distinctly. And that was another catalyst to kind of get me back. Just not being a lazy teenager and being distracted. It was her way of reminding me, Hey, this is something you need to be doing and putting your attention span back on. So uh, I started teaching for my martial arts teacher as a, as a young teenage kid. Um, you know, and, and, and when I turned 18, I had the opportunity. I, I, the only job I had other than teaching martial arts, I worked at a Burger King when I was in high school and my martial arts teacher said, Hey, do you want to teach for me? And I'll pay you whatever. I don't even know what that small amount <laughs> was. And I, and I said, yeah, I quit Burger King and I was in. Um, teaching for him was, I just did that. Of course, there was like no money in it, but you know, I was living at home, you know, and I was a young guy, so it was all good. And when I was 23, you know, my instructor had two schools. He, he wasn't a super successful monetarily speaking martial arts teacher, albeit a very good martial arts teacher, but he had two schools and the one school, you know, he's had that girl running that school and she wanted to open up her own separate facility. And now he was stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? It's like, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to have to run one of these schools. And so at 23 without, I couldn't spell P and L and that's pretty easy to spell, you know, profit and loss okay. statement. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know anything on, on, on a lunch, on a lunch meeting. He said, this is kind of what it is. And I went, sure. Yeah. And that was it. That That's how I became a business owner. Yeah. On a, I'm not even know what you just said, and I just ate a sandwich, and I'm 23. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> but, 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 but that because I just loved martial arts so much as a person for what it did for me, for my confidence, for my ability to, you know, deal with life. I just I have this innate um, feeling I always have to help others. It's just something that I enjoy doing. It brings me a lot of joy to help others. And I found that by teaching martial arts, you know, how a doctor can save patients, I feel I can save people's souls, I can save their confidence, I can save their fitness, I can save a lot of things through the practice of martial arts. So that's my way to save people and help people. And, and I've just been addicted to that, right? I'm addicted to my own personal progress and growth and wanting to protect myself and so on and so on. You know, because I was an overweight young kid. I dealt with self-esteem issues. I dealt with being uncomfortable in my own skin. And I felt, and I wanted to know to protect myself. I didn't want to be a fearful kid. I was a fearful kid when I was yeah. younger. So by, by learning martial arts, that radically changed tons of things in me. I never wanted to let that go. I wanted that to be a part of myself. It still is to this day. And you know, and I'm in my forties now, but the teaching side became you know, my way of saying, I want to give what I've gotten to you. Yes. And, and so year after year after year, now there's been all kinds of spirals of martial arts that I've done and this and that, but it, to, to pack it up in a, in a small sentence or two, it's, I wanted to know I could protect myself. I want others to protect themselves and everything I've done, albeit I've gotten off course here and there throughout time. That's always been my main staple, and that brings me to where you know I am yeah, today. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <clears throat> well, I can really relate to a lot of that as well because, uh, especially you know, a lot of people listen to this that because the way that martial arts is taught, in large part because of people like you, 
um, it's so much more refined and so much more uh, mainstream today. And so, you know, when I, when I sure. was uh, starting, you know, just like you, I was like the only the only kid. I don't even think we had kids class. So it no, yeah. we didn't. We didn't either. You just got stuck in with the adults and you just yep. kept up or you or yep. you quit. But one of the things I do notice back remember back in those days is that there was always that core group of people that were always looking for somebody to train with and they didn't care because they needed yeah. somebody. And if you were one of the ones that was willing to stay, then you kind of got accepted. And I thought martial arts was really refreshing from the perspective that everywhere else, it was really hard to, there was a lot of, it was, you know, what family were you from or how much money you made. And here was a place where if if you got, if you got there early, you stayed late, you became one of the guys. And as, as I got older, I ended up with the vast majority of my friends were all 20 years older than me, but it worked out okay. So Sure. So, but you know, to, go, to, to your point though, I think that's a huge thing because, you know, I came from a low economic background and I guess, you know, one of the things that a, a wonderful dojo is, is it just rewards those who persevere. That's it. If you want to be recognized in, in your school, all you have to be is a hard worker and, and give it yes. your best. And you are literally an, an all-star. Nothing else matters. Yes, sir. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. So talk to me a little bit. You know, one of the things I know since you started as a kid, you, you can really, and myself as well, but you can really relate to this. And both of us, we have a lot of adults in our program, but we also have a lot of kids. So what specifically in your mind did, did martial arts do for you as a kid? I know you already touched on that. And then what does it do for the kids sure. that you work with today in general? What does it do for kids to make their lives better versus, you know, and there's a lot of things that can build people's uh, children's self-esteem, but tell me a little bit about how martial arts does that for your students. Yeah, sure. And I think it's, you know, I'm biased because I'm a martial artist, but I, I did play football and I do enjoy sports. And I think that martial arts just has a difference, and I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, as, as a kid, like I said, what, what I feel that martial arts does in, in certain ways that are just so powerful, it's, it's transformative. Right? Like the person you start out as, you're completely different as you progress. I mean, you are literally completely different. From my perspective as a young kid, overweight, low self-esteem, not a very strong image. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't have qualities about me that I liked, but they were being overshadowed by qualities that were being pressed on me by kids in my school, yes. right? Like I'm an outgoing person. I always have been. I'm a silly, funny, <laughs> outgoing person. <laughs> you're laughing because you're like, oh, duh, right? <laughs> but, 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 but that was being suppressed by other things that I felt self-conscious about. I was self-conscious about my weight. I was fearful of other things. So the, the bright shining parts of my personality were being suppressed by just a few parts that I was feeling weighed down by. Yeah. And when I started martial arts, it allowed me to see who I really was yes. and let that be opened up. It wasn't like it wasn't there. It just, it needed to be dusted off. Like, look, this is who you really are. Because in the martial arts, you're rewarded, like I said earlier, for effort and trying and, and, and your ability is just growing at your own pace. So 
I was able to see that I was capable of far more than ever possible through the hard practice of my martial arts because martial arts is challenging, right. right? You're learning these things, you're doing these exercises, you're being pushed not just physically but mentally and emotionally. And every time that you break through one of those barriers of I didn't think I could, oh look, but I can. That that changes your character drastically and it changes your opinion of yourself. Yes, sir. And so and so for children martial arts gives them an early start of seeing what they're capable of yes right like i'm capable of a really amazing things that i just didn't think that i i would be capable of and so i i liken kids and adults too but kids to studying martial arts as a dr jekyll mr hyde and let me explain to you what i mean by that there's two general characteristics of kids i've seen over the years and i've been teaching for well over two decades now yes, right sir. So there's typically two types of kids that come and there's always gray area but those two typical areas are one the very smart intellectual compassionate kind kid but who's also very shy and easily picked on and has low self-esteem to that degree. Now there's another category of kids that are super super confident. They're loud and energetic and boisterous but they can't sit still. They're constantly getting in trouble. They're getting yelled at by parents or teachers, but they're that they're rowdy and rambunctious. And so martial arts helps kids how it needs to help them, right? The smart kid doesn't have to be be unsmart and unkind. They just gain all the confidence. Yeah. They gain all the I can do things I never thought I could and I'm still smart and I'm still compassionate and I'm still sweet and kind, but I can also be hyper confident in the same breath. The kids that are rowdy and rambunctious we don't want them to lose their confidence we don't want them to lose their stern personality we just need to learn help them how to channel right. it i can still be confident and loud and energetic but know when to sit still and know when to be mannered and know when to keep my mouth shut and know when to say yes sir or no sir or be polite or do the things i'm supposed to so it gives the rowdy kids the ability to stay confident but structured and gives the quiet soft spoken intelligent kid the ability to stay that way but be hyper confident in the same yes. breath. And so they start off as one kid. That's what I'm getting back to with the Dr. Jekyll, you know, Mr. Hyde. It's like you can't stay two opposite people. Your personality has to go one way. As you start off as that one personality type and you start gaining these other skills, well that new person trumps that old person. Yes, sir. And I see it day in and day out. So you see the child who didn't consider themselves focused because no one calls them focused. So you think I think that's it's very relevant that we need to understand that kids know who they are by how we define them. Yes, sir. That's brilliant. So yeah. so a kid knows their status. They know how to get attention in the world by how attention is given to them. They know how they're talked about. They're talked about like, oh, that's the funny kid. Oh, that's the smart kid. Oh, that's the athletic kid. That's the fat kid. That's the skinny kid. That's the nerdy kid, right? Yeah. They get labels like jock or nerd, right? And they identify themselves with it. And so martial arts lets them change the identity. Nice. It lets them alter how they view themselves by the actions they take and the way they're talked to in martial arts. Yes. Yeah, right? When you're going someplace that's constantly reminding you that you're awesome and your efforts are great and look Johnny I love how you're sitting still and being focused they're going wait a minute let me get this straight let me get this straight everybody calls me the rowdy kid who gets the tension but this guy seems to like when I sit still for 5 seconds 
wait a minute, I think that's really awesome. Maybe I am the kid that can sit still for five seconds. Mm. Then it becomes 10, then it becomes 15, then it becomes I can sit still the whole class. Then it becomes I say yes sir and no sir and I snap attention and all the parents think that I'm this hyper-disciplined kid. Because often what happens in my school is when the child joins class and their kid is rowdy, there are 15, 20 other kids in the class they're watching, they didn't know that kid was the same as their kid six months ago. That's it. They would never, never peg. Like, look at this kid right here. What if I told you, Mrs. Jones, that this particular child here was chewing his belt, running around in circles on his first week? You gotta be kidding me, Mr. Bundy. I swear to you. <laughs> I don't, I only say that, like, I don't, you know, tease at people. I, I talk about families that are okay with talking about their child or the family because it's a success story. Not like I'm trying to say anything other than, look, this child has made huge bounds of focus and confidence and your child will too. Because the parents don't believe it because they, they see a kid that, that's standing straight saying, yes, sir, no, sir, doesn't wiggle or move in class. They didn't see the kid that couldn't sit right. still. Right. So the point that right there is proof positive. They see a child that's disciplined and respectful. But six months ago, that kid was yes, not. Sir. So that means that kid is different. That kid is radically different. And the parents see it and tell us all the time. And I'm sure you've yes, had sir. thousands of success stories like to the liking yourself over the years, Sensei. And that right there is what, why martial arts, not only do you get the self-defense aspect that no other ende you know, endeavor can give you, you know, you can't get that from football and you can't get that from baseball. Not that those are things your child shouldn't do, of course, right. but you don't get that self-defense element. Then you start attaching a fitness. Then you start attaching, you know, if you play or do certain other activities, discipline comes as a byproduct. Yes. Sometimes. Yes, sir. But in martial arts, it's in the forefront of the practice. Yes. We are talking about and teaching you and helping you understand the value of respect discipline manners and concentration and all those character attitudinal skills and because it's it's in the forefront of not just the fact that you do class and you got discipline but we're going to explain why and how and what you can do to do it yes, better sir and because you're getting now you're getting the self-defense basics you're getting the physical fitness aspect which not only helps health but confidence for everyone when you when you feel better and do better your confidence goes up and now you're getting those attitudinal skills talked to you in a way in almost lecture terms. Sometimes, you know, we do little lectures at our school all the time. I know you do these types of things as well. So now you're getting attitude skills professed to you on what you should be doing. And you put all three of the three of those together. And that's something that if you couldn't imagine your child wanting to at least experience for six months or a year, I couldn't imagine a parent going, yeah, I don't want six months of my kid getting those three things. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's so huge. You know, like <clears throat> one of the ways I try and put it sometimes to some of the, the, the parents is there's a lot of other activities where sometimes the character development happens, but when it happens, it usually happens by accident. But but the sure. way that you put it was brilliant. And, it's, yeah, and, 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 and some, some teachers in school, some coaches, See, I mean, it, there's no broad brush, right? There's there's always going to be certain people in leadership roles that take their leadership role more serious. Yes, sir. And there's going to be certain coaches, you know, at the school level, the high school level or the grade school level that are going to choose to teach those types of things. But it's not really kind of in the mandate, right? Like you're, you want to win football games. 
Now, to win football games, you have to be disciplined, but it's just a different right. activity in that martial arts, you signed up to get disciplined, not to be good at scoring a touchdown. Yes. Yes, sir. Perfect. So it's part it's part of the syllabus. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So tell me a little bit about um, in your, you know, like in your own life. So, you know, you've gone through a, a lot of transition. Um, you know, most of our students know you as a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Tell me a little bit of how you got started in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and some of the things that you shared with me, um, a little bit about your heritage, your, your, your uh, uh, teacher lineage in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and then how what you do may even be unique to a lot of the uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that is practiced in many of the, the, the gyms that are uh, popping up uh, around the country these days. Yeah, certainly. Well, as I as I mentioned earlier, one of my main priorities and will always be a main priority in my personal practices. If it if it works in a fight, I want to know how to do it. So practice, so practicality is at the forefront of what types of martial arts I want to participate in. And so I started off in Taekwondo as a young guy. The only difference we knew about martial arts and men was from Black Belt Magazine that you would get in a bookstore, <laughs> right? Like it's not, it's not like now, yes, right? There was a bookstore in my local town. You could go to the magazine section and there was like the Kung Fu Illustrated and Black Belt Magazine. And you're like, oh, there's Death Touch and Ninja. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was, that was your resource for what martial arts is or what martial arts you know, different martial arts are, yes, yes, right? Sir. And like, and I know it's, it, this is the cliche thing everyone's going to say, but when the UFC popped up, right? Like it's, it's so cliche now because all of us quote unquote old timers in the martial arts, like you and me, right? Like those of us that were doing martial arts in, in the late eighties and early nineties, um, you know, once you saw that first UFC, you know, at the time, and like I said, I was the resident expert on martial arts in my circle group. When I was in high school, you know, you know, because the UFC came out when I was like 17 or 18 or whatever it was, you know, I was like a junior or a senior. And like I said, I didn't know anyone who did martial arts, let alone Taekwondo or karate. It didn't matter what style it was, just martial arts in general, right? right? right. So. So when the UFC came out, you know, my buddy, you know, he got it on a, on a, on a VHS tape or whatever. And Hoist Gracie was doing this arm lock on this guy, hanging upside down, breaking this guy's arm. I didn't at the time even know what an arm lock was to the degree that he was doing it. I just, I'm like, oh, this guy's hanging on this guy like a monkey. I didn't even know why the fight was over. Right, right, right. Like he, my, my buddy says, hey, Jim, you know what happened? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know what he did. Right. I don't know what they're doing. Like I know, I know punch and kick, right? right. I know like some standing self defenses, like when people would grab you and different things that were on my particular, you know, a martial arts system. But what I was seeing was nothing I could communicate to somebody because I didn't understand yeah. it. And once I saw that, I started, you know, I, I there's just something innate in me that's that like with everything I do that I, I'm a researcher. Like one, I, I want, I question, I wonder, I want to know. And I don't want to know because you told me, I want to know because I want to know. 
I want to know the reasons and answers so I can make up my own mind on things. And so I just started exploring what grappling was and so on and so on. And I, and I started dabbling with it and I would train with, you know, Joe Schmo here and this guy over there and just I, anything that was grappling, if I could get my hands on it, pardon the bad pun. <laughs> if I get my hand, if I get my hands on it, I, I, yeah, that was a bad pun. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tackle it. So whether it was a VHS tape or messing with some of my adult students and playing around with stuff after our classes were over, or working out with a certain guy that knew something, you know, if I could mess around with it, I was. And that was, that was what first transformed my Taekwondo school. Because I, I purchased my school from my instructor, like I said, when I was 23. Right. And for a solid 12 months after that, I kept that as a Taekwondo school. Not just for any other, if, if for no other reason, because out of complete respect for my instructor. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. But I, but I had been messing around with other stuff for a couple years prior to that, though. I had been messing with grappling since I was like 20-ish, 19, 20. Yes. Although I still taught Taekwondo, we would just mess around with that stuff after classes, right? So once I finished that full year, I changed the name of our school and I changed it to Freestyle Karate because I wanted to have, I wanted to learn all these things and blend it together so I felt good about it as a practitioner. Yes. And I wanted to kind of give my students the cheat sheet. So without ever really looking up too, too much on what Jeet Kune Do was or what Bruce Lee was doing, I was in my own way doing that type of thing, but not because I was trying to copy Bruce Lee or calling it Jeet Kune Do. Right. Because I didn't even know any guys that really practiced that. Right. I lived in Ohio for Pete's sake. There, there's nobody doing Jeet Kune Do in Warren, Ohio. Right. At least not that I knew of. Right. So so I, I, I just was mixing stuff together. And that's why I called it freestyle because I didn't know how else to term it. Yes, sir. And so for years, I just kept that path. If I, if I could run into somebody at a martial arts convention or a this or a that or visit somebody's school around the country, it was just hodgepodge, but it was, it was all I could do. Right. I would clump it together, train it, try to understand it, feed it to any, any of the students at our school. And I've always felt this need to test myself, not from an athletic point of view, but I want to know I can fight if it really happens. Yes. And so as a young guy, I did Taekwondo tournaments and so on, not, not to be a tournament champion, but here's the funny thing about me. When I started doing things like that, the, the intent was to know I can fight. And I'm going to use these people in this tournament as, as an indicator if I handle a pressure of a real fight. Yeah. But what happened was I started to get good. Yep. yep. And once I started to get good and I'm like, oh, I'm winning. Oh, I'm, I want to compete. Like it, my ego took over every single time. Yep. If I go back through every time that I started competing with the purpose of protection, it always turned out as, oh, I'm pretty good at this. I want to get really good at it. Maybe I'm an athlete. And I, and, and that, that has led me down a couple different accidental veers of my main mission a few times, which I can get to another one later. Yep. But the point being is, the point being is I, I needed to test stuff. So as I graduated through my 20s, you know, I'm like, I did a boxing event and had some okay success with that. I did a kickboxing event, one that had had success with that. And at the time, you know, they were putting on these local shows and this is 2004, 2003, 2005. 
this is before the UFC was like, whoa, the UFC. Right, right. right. It was still, it was, it was still called no holds barred. If you remember that term, Joe. Yes, sir. No holds barred. <laughs> um, and, and it was just like there was an event in my local city, and we went. Me and some of my friends went. There was literally nobody in any of the chairs except for people that were family of the fighters. Yes, that was the crowd. Yes. And I'm watching these dudes get after it, and I'm like. That scares the crap out of me. I'm gonna have to do it. Yeah, I love it. That was my thinking. That was my I thinking. That, that looking at that scares the crap out of me. I've done boxing. I've done kickboxing. But these dudes are doing whatever they want. I love it. That scares me. I'm not sure how I'm gonna handle that. So I'm gonna have to do it. Right. So because I knew I was gonna do that type of thing, I knew I needed to up my game with this grappling. I. Play, I, I was very good at punching and kicking and this type of stuff. And I had been hodgepodging with grappling forever, but I knew I had to up that. So I was trying to find resources to learn it. I had a first fight. I did really well, but I won by standing. I just kind of knocked the kid silly standing up. The fight never went to the ground. Well, then guess what happened to my ego? I want, I'm like, Ooh, I'm a fighter now. Yes. Yes, sir. Right. I did the first cage fight to test me. And now I won and people are cheering and people are thinking I'm cool because I won this cage fight and I'm still in my late 20s, you know, and I'm like, man, oh, yeah, like I'm Mr. Fighter dude now. And that, unfortunately, it helped me because I took another fight. They, they, they set me up. The kid that I fought made it to the UFC next. Like I fought a kid, a wrestler that was from Ohio State. They set me up. They're like, here's this kid who knows how to punch a kid. He doesn't know how to grapple. Let's feed him to our wrestler. Yeah, right. This was, right. you know, and, and this all-American wrestler, he made it to the UFC. I'm not saying that to like make me sound awesome. I'm just saying the kid was good. Yeah, yeah. But my, my but my point is, is, you know, he took me down and put me in an Americana arm lock and, and it, it took him all about 90 seconds to win the fight. Yeah. But that but that fight was like, oh man, like I need real legit jujitsu. Yes. Okay. Sir. Like like I, I I've been hodgepodging this stuff. And so I did what I always did. I, I need to find the right information. So I started exploring different ways to learn real legit jujitsu. Long story short, I ended up with a guy who was affiliated with Pedro Sauer, who was decently local to my area. Started practicing with him. He was bringing Professor in. I was really enjoying the practice. He said, do you want to start doing this at your school as well? I said, absolutely. So we started a Pedro Sauer program at my karate school. And the rest is history. And at the time, I didn't know who Pedro Sauer was. I'm being quite frank. Yes, he was just some Brazilian guy who knew the Brazilian jiu-jitsu like all the Brazilian guys. Yes. I had no clue, yes. none. And the only reason I wanted to learn it, Joe, was so if I couldn't knock you out and you tackled me, I'd be okay on the ground. That was my yes. purpose. It, it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a piece to my puzzle. And as I got through my, I'm a cool fighter stage and running my school into the ground economically and from a student point of view, because I was running this fight gym for a while thinking I was Mr. Tough Guy. And when I got out of that stage and I started listening to the real leadership that was in front of me, number one, I'd always had good martial arts leadership. I had run a a, a, a decently successful martial art program in my 20s with great kids programs and so on. But that fightery stage brought out this egotistical 
tough guy yes, side of me. Yes. It's kind of like when you're a teenager who's kind of lost, and you're and you're the smart kid, but you go hang out with the bad kids for a while because you think it's cool. Yep. Yep. And does that make any it sense? Per- I'm not saying that people like- I I went through that stage too. It's just most of my, you know, then I'm a bit older than you are, so I went through that stage yeah. uh, at a time when most of my students today didn't 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 see that. I I, I but I can right. sure relate to it for sure. And it doesn't make those people like thugs or bad people, but they just weren't the kind of martial arts people that I had always grown up around yes. for just as different. No bad, no worse, just as a different, yep. right? Yep. And because I had always grown around you know yes sir no sir martial arts culture with the fighting and and i got to just the fighting and I, as i came back full circle and i'm like you know at my 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 first my, my son was born and i'm like i need to get back to my roots as a as a martial arts person as a successful martial arts school teacher and a great leader and what can i do with my martial arts practice yes. and then i really started to see who pedro sour was yeah. and this so is gets into the unique so let's let's talk about that just a little bit and you know, of course, you know, we're talking about for those that might be listening that may not know, possibly, arguably the greatest technical Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, practitioner ever lived, Pedro Sauer, possibly. And the other, I, I'm just, you know, throwing this in and you correct me if you're, if I'm wrong. And you, when we've talked before about this, we've also, you've also talked about how you've also integrated in. So it wasn't like the kickboxing and the Taekwondo that got thrown out the window either, but because of his openness and some of the things that, for example, examples like the Valente brothers, so that your program yeah. is, is this very unique. It's uh, you know the highest of the food chain Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but you also are, are retaining some of the elements of much of your your experience over the years can you talk a little bit about both pedro sour and how that's influenced what you teach and how your teaching has progressed today certainly i so through white belt and blue belt which of course are the first two belts in jujitsu right i got my first black belt as a teenager in taekwondo now i'm starting and all the other stuff that i had done you know boxing kickboxing those are not belted things those are just fight orientated systems right there's no belt in muay thai right? right so so i white belt blue belt i was just like i said i was naive to what jujitsu really was i just thought it was this grappling off your back art that could supplement my strike and right at, when i got my purple belt i was going through better better epiphanies right i want to be a better leader i want to be that martial arts person i know i want to have my school a certain way and i was coming out of that fighter stage right so the, right at purple belt getting testing for my purple belt which is the third belt jujitsu takes about four or five or six years depending on who you are and your progress level and whatnot and up to that point i was just fighting learning grappling and when i my as my mindset was changed and i had a vision of what i needed to be which i call it coming for full circle right combining the respect of martial arts combining all these different elements and, and putting that with the fighting skill I was open to hear who Pedro Sauer really was, who was this technical wizard who had a very, a very amazing philosophy on how you should train your jujitsu. And he always called, you got to play jujitsu. That's what he always says. You got to play, play, play jujitsu, amigo. Have playful time, you know, just mess around, experiment, play with your, play with your friend, you know, try things. Don't, don't worry if you win or lose, be playful, have playful time. Mm. And to me, 
him, I'm sure he said that for the whole time that I had done his seminars or classes, but I couldn't hear it because <laughs> I wasn't that guy yes, yet. Yes, sir. Right? I, it's like, you know, everything I had done up to Purple Belt in all my martial arts practice, I'm talking about Taekwondo, it didn't matter. If me and you are spawn, we're getting it. Yes. And I'm going to get you more importantly. Yes. Now we'll hug and shake after, but it was, I didn't realize how egotistical it was till I realized how egotistical it was. Yes. You know, that, that chip on my shoulder of proving that I can fight was unfortunately coming out, not just in athletic style events, but if we were training at the dojo, like you were going to lose. And if you beat me today, wait till tomorrow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just wait till tomorrow, bro. Yes. Because you thought today was rough. I'm coming at you hard. And this is classmates. These are classmates. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that, that, so number one, the first thing was that he radically changed my view of how I should practice. It started with jujitsu, but it, it eventually spanned to every type of way I could practice. Yes. The second thing I realized is jujitsu is more than just grappling off your back if you hang around the right people. I did not know jujitsu had a self-defense element, like from surprise attacks and weaponry. I didn't know there were people that punched and kicked and also grappled and called that jujitsu. Mm. I didn't know that. I, I thought it was ground fighting. That's it. Zero. That's all I knew about it. And then I'm like, oh, I'm professor. I'm like, oh, he was in those fights. He was punching and kicking. I come to learn, oh, he boxed when he was a kid before jujitsu. Oh, he did taekwondo before he did jujitsu when he was a kid. Oh, these other guys, they they mix it all together. Oh, Elio Gracie, you know, he he practiced this. So he he had this guy boxing and 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 they but they just called it jujitsu. Right. And what I started to see was they were doing jujitsu like Bruce Lee did Jeet Kune Do. Yes, sir. Like Gracie jujitsu to them was, does it work in a fight? Oh, it does? Let's do it. Yes, sir. I love it. And once I saw that that was true, it allowed me to have the confidence to go, well, I'm going to stick everything I know together and I don't have to call it MMA. Right. That's jujitsu. Yes, sir. That's jujitsu. And that's what we're going to do. I, and I that, love and, it. And, that, and that's what I've been doing since. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, and so the thing is like in my dojo, you know, especially as I've gotten older, one of the things that happens as as a student gets older, and my my student body of my adults has gotten older too, because they go right along with you, right? But what I've noticed is is that the risk reward ratio gets greater and greater. So when you're in your 20s, you train a certain way, you bang it up. You might even be a little bit of proud of an injury. I remember when I, you know, the first couple oh, of times. Oh, dude, back, I was beyond <laughs> proud. It was badges of honor. If it, I went somewhere with a black eye, yeah. it was like, dude, don't look at me wrong. Yes, yeah, black yeah. Eye. And even now, you know, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the sport jujitsu guys, you know, it's it's man, those like in, when I, in karate, it was your knuckles. Like, look at your hands. You got those big, massive sure. knuckles. But now the, the sport jujitsu guys, it's the, it's the cauliflower ears, right? But as you get or older, or tape all over their fingers. Yeah, right? yes, sir. But as you get older, you know what happens is is the 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 price of healing and the the enjoyment of life that gets taken away from you is, and I think that is the biggest single obstacle for. And I would tell you this in my own practice. In my own practice, it's really sometimes difficult to find the right people to practice with that will just play and enjoy for long periods of time so that you can still go out and take your jujitsu or take your karate, take your uh, sure. whatever you're practicing and just take that into your life and then go to enjoy all the other things of life too. 
Sure. And, and, and that, that speaks volumes, right? And I've had multiple types of cultures, as you can imagine, being the, you know, the, the verbiage that I've been giving you. It's like, but our, our culture now, it's like, it's at its peak. And what I mean by that is everybody, you, me, and, and everybody who does martial arts, they want to know that what they're learning is effective. Yes. And they want to know they can perform it under pressure. Yes. I mean, those are true things. Yes. Sir. I want to know that this is effective. It will work. Otherwise, why do it? And I need to be able to test this in a way so I feel confident, comfortable in my own skin that if this dude grabs me tomorrow, I can do something and it's viable. Yes. And I'll deal with that pressure, not just physically, but emotionally, right? So what has to happen, what has to happen is it's a layered out process, right? Number one, the school owner, the head honcho, if you will, they have to look at their the, the practice through a certain lens. If they're not sure how the practice should be done or they're confused, which I have been in the past, when you have a confused leader, you have confused followers. Mm. They don't know what to do because there's no direction because the person leading changes their mind all the time. Yes, sir. But if you have a very, let's call it confident, but flexible leader. And what I mean by that is you're confident in your approach, but flexible that it needs to change if necessary to make what you do better. Yes, sir. You have to be confident that you're going the right direction, but flexible that you can change the approach so long as it fits the main constructs of the main goal. Yes, sir. Yeah. And so I want to know I can fight, but I need to, I need people to understand that when you join up for martial arts, you have to decide, are you doing this short-term, long-term? Because that's gonna affect how you can practice. Let me be clear about that. Mm. The students that we register, that stay with us, or we encourage to stay, have a long-term view. I would like to do this, and I'd like to do it in, to the infinity if I choose. I can. So if I join when I'm 30, that means I'll be 40. If I join when I'm 40, that means I'll be 50. If I join when I'm 25, that means I'll be 38. Mm. Brilliant. So, so if you, if you, if you create a culture that says we're learning to fight, but it has to be sustainable and it has to be sustainable to infinite degrees. Now, if that's true, that affects how we treat each other. When we grapple, there can be days where we are, I'm matching my best wits against you, right? You bring your A game, I bring my A game. But that doesn't have to come out in a fisticuffs. Yes. Right. I, I liken it to chess, and then I'll go to the short-term person. I liken it to chess. If I'm playing chess with my son, I want him to feel challenged, but he still needs to learn the strategy. He still needs to learn how the pieces work, how the game works, how he's going to learn to strategize and win, right? Yes, sir. So I can challenge him to the degree that he can handle the challenge. Now, sometimes I'll need to beat him so he can learn to lose and deal with failure. And sometimes I need to let, let him have a little bit of a slack so he gets a chance to have some victory and feel comfortable. But some days I have to beat him. It's A game versus A game. Yes. He has to learn to deal with I lost and how do I correct course. However, when I do beat him, it doesn't change how I move the pieces on the board. Right. If I play chess with you, I gently put the piece down if I had full intent to beat you or no intent to beat you, I moved my palm at the same gentleness. Yes. 
yes. if I'm trying to beat you, I don't go, here's my pawn, boom! I'm gonna take your queen, smack, and knock it off the table. Change the velocity of my movement or the ferocity of my movement. It just changes the mental capacity to which I choose to, to beat you with. Yes, sir. So to that, so that, to that degree, if you have playful time and students are relaxed and they're learning to be comfortable and their partner's giving them chances when they're newer at training or sparring and, and vice versa, then it becomes time where I can beat you, but it doesn't feel like you're being beaten. Yes. Because it doesn't feel aggressive. Yes. It doesn't feel mashing. It doesn't feel like you're getting your arm ripped off. Yes. Students don't mind losing if you beat them with wits. Yes. They mind losing if they feel like you're trying to hurt them. Yes, sir. So when you create a culture of playful time, relaxed time, everybody's here to learn and win together. Well, then when I go my A game on you, you're okay because I've given you opportunities to win some. Here's a chance, just like with my son, here's now you're losing, but it doesn't feel ferocious because when you're playful and you're learning with each other, guess what's happening, Joe? You're getting better. Yes, sir. You know, you're getting mechanical. You, you know, you're learning the technique. Yes, sir. That's brilliant. You know, I remember listening to an interview with Magic Johnson years ago. I think it was on Jay Leno. And he was talking about, you know, what does he do in his free time? And he goes out back behind his house and he'd play basketball with his nine year old. And Leno's like, oh, man, you must, you know, really put it on him or whatever, uh, you know, and beat him or you let him, you ever let him win. And Magic Johnson looked at him and he had a smile on his face like he always does. And he said, well, first of all, I never let him win. But I never beat him bad either. But I never let him win yes. because there's going to come a right. there's going to come a day when he gets bigger and he gets stronger and maybe maybe uh, I get a little older. But there's going to come a day when he can beat me. But when he beats me, he'll know that he really beat me that I just didn't give it to him. But no, I never let him win because if you let other people win all the time, then you become a loser, and I'm never going to be that. <laughs> right, I, I, I like that so, philosophy. Yes, I I do, and that's that's a wonderful you know, thought process. And so to that degree, when you want to have a sustainable workout environment and training environment that people are learning for real, the way that we explain it, whether it's kids sparring or adults sparring, right? At the beginning, we don't have people spar. They just learn the techniques. But at some yeah. point, you got to train with your partners and test your moves. So the question becomes, how do you do that? How do you create a process and where I'm, if I'm, I have to know how I rack up against you. Yes. It becomes a process of who's the leader in the sparring. Yes. It doesn't matter about rank. It matters about factors that make who can win. If I'm yeah. bigger than you, I have a better chance of winning because I'm bigger. If yeah. I have more skill, that's a factor. There's there's multiple factors, but the point being is you get people to understand what those factors are and yes. how do they respond once they know those factors exist. Yes. And what that simply means is I can spar with you and have a healthy dose of you losing and being encouraged and getting some opportunities to win. Yes. And then what happens is the lower belt, quote unquote, lower belt person in that sparring, they see, oh, let me get this straight. You could have killed me for five minutes, but you didn't. Now, yes, you tapped me and I learned and I know not to put my hand there because I got caught, but you also gave me some opportunities to try some things and you gave me tips and encouraged me. And that says a lot about you as a person, 
you know, Joe partner. Yeah. Because you had the ability to, to destroy me, but you didn't. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You gave you you took the opportunity to teach me. What does that do? That sets the precedence that when I'm in a leadership role in this environment, this is how I treat people below me. Yes. And so, you know, that and both of us coming up back in the old days, you know, that's exactly was the problem and why martial arts really wasn't as refined is it was always the the, the more experienced or the, the tougher ones sort of feeding off the little ones. And that is sure. that it's I, all ego. And I, and I really think that the, the tutelage of people like uh, Professor Sauer and, and the Gracie family overall have really transformed that. Of course, there are other teachers doing that that same concept, but they popularized it to such an extent that we've all been able to benefit by it. So what I'd like to do now is do a just a quick, very brief uh, transition because I think it would be very helpful to do this interview in two parts. So we've talked a lot about your history. We've talked about your philosophy towards martial arts, what you're trying to do in your dojo and how people work with each other. Um, but at some point I want to make, and we'll make this part two, a transition into talking about your overall mindset towards self-improvement, goal setting, uh, making life better and some of those principles. But if you could just give everyone a quick, uh, a quick hint of that uh, before we we end the the, the uh, interview, and that is like for example in my own life, I'll give you an example. One principle that I learned from one of my teachers is called upper limits, and as soon as I implemented upper limits, it just changed everything in my life. And so upper limits, everybody sets lower limits, right? When you run a dojo, like I, I need X number of students in order to pay the rent or I need this or that or the other thing. But what upper limits are, are saying, but I'm not gonna take more than this because there's there's a message that I want to, to project. And if I take more than this, I'm gonna dilute the message and I'm not gonna earn the lifestyle that I enjoy. Another example of that is one of the things that was a huge transition in my own financial life is, you know, it, instead of trying to say, how much can I earn? I start looking at what I earn and I divide it up into really three parts, okay? Number one, um, I take one third of my income and I do my absolute best to save it. Number two, I take one third of my income and I use it for travel because most of my life I spent uh, only traveling to go to a martial art event and not seeing anything. So one third of my income goes to travel and the other third I live on. But those are principles that are real rock solid that that really helped me and, and made my life a lot better. So um, can you give us maybe one or two quick principles, but I wanna digest these things in more detail the next time that we're together, but one or two things that you've implemented and I've seen you transform like a rocket ship over the last 10 years and your life is, is uh, just, in fact, if there's anybody that ever needs to pick me up or somebody that's got his mind in the right place, um, man, I tell people, Coach Bundy is the person you need to talk to, and you're doing it, and you're doing it in the most massive way. And can you give us just a little preview, one or two things that you're doing mindset-wise that have made all the difference for you? Well, I appreciate the kind thoughts, um, Sensei, and I'm, I, 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 I'm going to siphon that, that answer, answer into... into um, I'm getting I'm getting some echo, Sensei Joe. Is that me? Yeah, it's it's okay now. It just sometimes okay, good. Not, I, I, I I I don't know if I pushed something and broke. No, something. no, no. Yeah. It's just an internet thing. Roger that. So, I I have lived by a principle 
if I think about it, my entire life. As a younger person, I felt it was. As I look back at my younger life, it was somehow at a subconscious level, and I learned over time to put it to a conscious level. And that is, if I can do better, I should do better.、Mm-hmm. If I'm capable. In other words, what's potential, right? Like, what if I define potential? If I define potential. If I actually have the ability to do more than what I'm doing, then I have to be obligated to do that. That is more.、Awesome. And so, that would be the thing I could impress upon anybody. I think that complacency and laziness is something we all experience. We all are going to do those things. However. If、when we talk about a principle that we live by, it's kind of like little tenets that we hold ourselves to, and we create them in different ways. But example, do you feel that you're an honest person, Sensei? Oh yes, sir. Do you feel that that's a guiding principle in your life? Like, if you were not honest with someone, would you feel like your world wrecked inside? Yeah, it would. I just can't. I've always, I've always joked there are people that are that are good liars, and there are people that are not. And believe me, it just, it just doesn't work for me. Which is the reason why.、Right. Which is the reason I don't play poker either. By the way, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. But, but, but my point being is that that principle is so endeared to you that when it comes to decision making, it affects your decision making. Yes. Yes, sir. So what I'm encouraging people to think about is, you have to make a decision that you, if you're able to do more than what you're currently doing, you have to feel obligated to do more. So when you do get lazy, or you do feel like not doing something, or going to that next level, or doing that other workout, or pushing your 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 boundaries,、yeah. your principle then kicks in. And says, and you, you, you sigh about it. That's、right? awesome. This is what happens to、awesome. me, because you, because when I feel like I'm not doing something that I know I can be doing, I feel disgusted with myself. Yes, yes. And that disgusted, that disgusted feeling reminds me that I'm wrong in my actions, and I need to get off my duff. Yes, sir. So I feel that to to connect that though. I could. I can't share this enough with people. You have to be around that message, though. Yes. Yes. You have. I was one of the things. One of the best things my instructor did for me. My first instructor, when I was in my early twenties, is gave me a set of Tony Robbins tapes. And for those that don't know who Tony Robbins, he's been like a motivational type of guru for forever.、Yep. And I'm not here to say, oh, go buy Tony Robbins stuff. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that that single act of him giving me those cassettes put me around the right type of people or a conversation, I should say, that that reminded me what I know was true. What I meant by that is I've always been the hardest worker in the room.、Mm-hmm. Like I have a chip on my shoulder.、Mm-hmm. I've always had it. Yep. When I started martial arts, if you were standing next to me throwing a front kick. And it looked like it, you were kicking harder than me. Yeah, I'm going to break my knee to kick harder <laughs> yes, than you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
So I have this internal dialogue that says, I will do more. And I, I have that chip, I love right? It. I love it. So what I learned to do was recognize that I have that as a subconscious thing and use it as a conscious thing. And that, that, that becomes more conscious and aware to have that mindset yes. when you're around the right conversation, when you're around people that say it's okay to do more, it's okay to want more. It's okay to excel. These are okay actions. Yes, sir. When you get around that conversation, whether it's reading a book, watching a video, listening to a podcast like this today, when you get around that mindset, stay around it because not everybody's going to subscribe to it, which can make you think it's not the right mindset. Right, right. So if you decide that what I said is if I'm able to do more, I should do more. You have to be around people that agree that that's a good model for how you should look at your life. I love it. So, and you stay around that model. Yeah. So that, you know what, what I would just say to sort of crystallize it, you know, and Sifu Brown likes to say that environment is stronger than will. And man, that's exactly what I'm hearing. So that's a great preview. And what I would like to do is dig in really deeper into some of this mindset, some of this goal setting stuff so that uh, people will get a feel for uh, some of the, the rocket ship improvements that you've made in your life and maybe be able to adapt them to their own and to their own martial art practice. So coach, I really want to thank you again. Where can people get information about you and your dojo? Well, any of my social media, I, I, I believe firmly in sharing positivity on any level, martial arts and otherwise. You can follow me on Instagram at Coach Jim Bundy. Um, you can follow our Team Bundy's um, social media. So if you look up Team Bundy Gracie Jiu Jitsu, you can follow that on Instagram. You can follow that on Facebook. And I just promise you that I am one, I am of the many people that feel that we should be putting light into the world, not darkness. That doesn't mean that darkness isn't in our lives and others, but that doesn't mean we have to dwell on it. Awesome. We can choose, we can choose to try to search for and compound positivity. Yeah. I, boy, and boy, you, you sure live and breathe that, sir. So I really appreciate the, uh, the interview today. And then I'm looking forward to the, the second part. And uh, thanks again so much. And we will talk very soon. It's my pleasure, Sensei. And uh, I wish you the best today. And I look forward to doing more of these. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Ohio Martial Arts Mind Power. Stay tuned next week for part two of our interview with Coach Jim Bundy. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.